Hi, this is Chad. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm glad to be part of your journey towards product mastery so that we can develop products that our customers love. This episode is sponsored by the Rapid Product Mastery Experience. That's the RPM Experience. This is the fastest way for product VPs to get everyone contributing to product work, product creation, all on the same page, learning processes that increase their performance together. It's ideal for newly formed teams or teams that are growing. And it's not like other training. It really is an experience that brings people together. Go to productmasterynow.com RPM to see how it can help you. Today, we're talking about building innovative organizations. And to help us with that, we have the author of a new book, Creating Innovation Navigators, Achieving Mission Through Innovation. And she'll take us through some insights for that. Her name is Sabra Horn, and she's the entrepreneur in residence at BMNT, where she supports the development and deployment of government innovation efforts. Before joining BMNT, she was the chief of innovation hub, responsible for envisioning, establishing, and developing innovation efforts in cybersecurity and infrastructure security agency within the Department of Homeland Security. And previously, she served the National Security Agency, NSA, as the Deputy Chief for Information Sharing and Collaboration, facilitating the sharing of NSA's most highly classified intelligence. As always, listeners, if you want a detailed written summary of what we discuss, including a one-page action guide of some of the key takeaways that Sabre will share with us, simply go to productmasterynow.com slash 422 and you'll find those resources. Sabra, thank you so much for joining us. It's great to be here with you, Chad. Thanks so much. I wanted to start out just getting the state of innovation through your experience, right? You've been supporting government organizations. And so that's, I'm sure, kind of your general context. But just what have you seen in general? Do we have a sense that organizations, are we getting better at innovation or maybe less innovative? I think probably when we all think of government, we think inherently of a bureaucratic mechanism that is slow and lumbering. But in many ways, there are so many very important innovation organizations within government, and we'd be remiss not to highlight such important places such as NASA or DARPA, the Defense Advanced Research Agency, which is charged with creating incredibly innovative efforts for DOD. We can do innovation within the government, and also we have a lot of individual innovation organizations that already exist within the government. Within the DOD, they have more than 120 innovation organizations. And across the rest of the government, we probably have over 200. So lots of people who are doing amazing things and rethinking how we might be able to bring innovation and new ways of thinking to our organizations and our agencies. That having been said, in many cases, the government can be somewhat slow and inherently we bring people to the government who are not experts in innovation intentionally. People who are great at following processes and developing processes and strategies and things of that sort. So we have repeatable efforts that are very insistently focused on making best use of taxpayer dollars because that's what government does. So we have that responsibility. The challenge is how do we balance that responsibility of being methodical and precise with having innovative tactics that we utilize, whether it is rethinking how we've done things previously, whether it is coming up with new strategies for how we might approach different issues that we're facing, or just simply trying to figure out processes 
and policies that would improve the way we achieve mission. It's We need to think that it is possible within the government that we are all innovative. Each and every individual within the government has the ability to be more innovative. If we think about what that might look like, how we could achieve that, and how we're going to be able to achieve mission impact even more effectively. Very good. I like how you frame that, right? That we may not think of the government as an innovative organization. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that up front. At the same time, we actually have, there's a few indications through some of the studies going on that innovation may be slowing in the U.S. in general, that organizations might be losing a little bit of innovative momentum. And for all that we've talked about this in the last couple of decades, right, it seems a little bit surprising to me. But my early career was involved in creating projects, software systems for the most part, some hardware system integration systems for government agencies. And that was an exceptionally innovative environment, right? We, we were doing cutting edge, sometimes truly bleeding edge work where you had to figure out things that did not exist yet. And I live near the Air Force Academy in Colorado, And there's a group that was influenced by them. I'm not exactly sure what the relationships are, but there's a group now in Colorado Springs who is trying to bring in startups from the commercial world into government agencies to try to help them just think a little bit differently, right? So we see some of these connections here. I think it behooves all organizations, regardless of origin, right? Government, nonprofit, for-profit, to be more innovative, and you talk about needing an innovation pipeline as really a mechanism to be more innovative. And I'm hoping you can take us through what is an innovation pipeline. Great question there, Chad. So first, I want to address your the beginning of this question, which is really about are we competitive across the U.S.? And are we being able to make best use of innovation across the entire organization? And Absolutely. We absolutely are able to do some amazing eye-watering things that people just simply could never even imagine. I will say I had the great luxury as being part of the intelligence community for approximately 13 years of seeing firsthand the amazing capabilities that the U.S. government not only is able to use, but develops as well. And so I think it's certainly we realize that they're a great nation race and we must keep on top of that. And it's important for us to be able to figure out how we can bring emerging technologies as quickly as possible to bear for mission impact and being able to utilize commercial technologies and emerging technologies from the commercial sector Hmm. as effectively as possible and as quickly as possible is critical. One of the important factors there is being able to utilize all our alternative authorities for acquisition, how we can buy things quickly and get them into the government. And there's any number of organizations, as you just mentioned, that are able to do those types of activities. And they're certainly absolutely critical to our success. And we need more of that capability, being able to buy quickly and leverage commercial technologies. But I would say there is a lot of there are a lot of different ways that we can bring about innovation within the government and by focusing only on emerging technologies or commercial technology we're missing a lot of what it is that we can make happen so when you look at these 120 organizations i mentioned within DOD that do innovation Most of them are focused on bringing in commercial technologies and emerging technologies quickly into the government because one of the big things that DOD has to do is to put widgets 
around the globe in order to affect mission impact. And so it's critical to have those abilities. However, outside of DOD, and I would say even within DOD, Bringing in commercial technology is not the only way that we can bring about innovation. We can look at things such as strategies or processes or policies or ways of communicating and rethink how we do those things so that we are being more effective, we're delivering mission impact, and sometimes we just make things less painful for our workforce. We have the ability for all of us to think about what those mechanisms like, might look like. And so I encourage everyone, when you think about innovation, it's not just about technology. So again, it's important for everyone to see their own role and how they can rethink what they're doing and make it faster, easier, more effective. I'd like to just share an example of that, right, that will help listeners to make some connections to this. Early on in my career, again, responding to DOD-type customers, we were developing software systems. And at that time, a mandate was to use basically a waterfall process for development, right? Yes. And also specific programming languages as well, which were. And so we had to, because we had run into limitations with that, with the work that we were trying to do, we had to go seek approval, right, the exception to use an agile type process. And this was before Scrum was actually written about, but basically our process was Scrum, right? We just called it different things. Um, and also exceptions to use C++, which was not a approved language at the time. Now, this is a much more commonplace. And the same thing for organizations are dealing with this too, right? How do we embrace agile capabilities? And a lot of organizations say that we have. Right. And when we really look at it, we ask the question, have they actually or not? But these are new, newer capabilities that do need to be looked at to say, do they offer value? That's right. And they're not just technologies, like strategies to say, how can we do a better job of innovating? That's exactly right. And so your example there is one of the six ways that I mentioned that we need to achieve innovation, and that is utilizing innovation methodologies and tools. There are so many different types of methodologies available these days, and some of our most wonderful organizations within the, within the USG, U.S. government, emphasize using those types of capabilities, such as the U.S. Navy's TANG program, which utilizes a human-centered design approach to thinking about mission problems and being able to connect with end users in a way that they understand the problem more effectively and then are able to create solutions that are more effective in bringing mission impact. But using tools and technology tools and methodologies is only one of the six ways that we can go about bringing innovation. I first wanted to emphasize the importance of looking at innovation as strategically and really determining why would we need innovation within our organization and how might that really help us. So when I was at CISA, for instance, I was charged with standing up the innovation hub. And first and foremost, I asked myself, okay, why do we need innovation within CISA? And what are our particular challenges and strengths, as well as areas where we could use some support? And what I came up with was, at the end of the day, CISA is challenged with an absolutely mammoth mission, which is how to inform not only the owners and operators of critical infrastructure, the 4.7 million owners and operators of critical infrastructure about the cyber threats that they face, but keeping the .gov domain uh, safe from cyber threats as well. So an incredibly huge mission. 
but yet we only had 2,200 people to achieve that mission. So the last thing that we needed to do was to load on more work onto these incredibly overworked people who were so focused on trying to achieve a very specific mission. So if I was going to bring innovation, it was critical that I found partnerships outside of CISA, places where they were doing innovative things, working on innovative capabilities that might have application within CISA, partnerships where we were able to learn from what others were doing in innovation and we could benefit ourselves, or drawing upon resources, brain and mental resources that we didn't have ourselves. So one of the programs that I stood up was called Hacking for Homeland Security, which is based on a program called Hacking for Defense, which makes great use of university students who are working hard to solve innovation problems in an entrepreneurship course, for instance. And we give them an important problem from the government that they can work on for a semester and then deliver the solution back to the government. So the illustration, that the example that I'd like to provide is when we worked on the first semester on Hacking for Homeland Security, we worked with students from Carnegie Mellon who spent time thinking about how might we assist small and medium-sized businesses who have so few resources to better keep themselves safe and from cyber threats. And so we were able to provide a website that was sent widely to inform people about how they might do so. That's one example about thinking strategically about how we needed to bring innovation to CISA, but doing so in a way that benefited us rather than costing us. Okay. I would also add there are the very the six different ways that we can go about bringing innovation. As I just mentioned, strategic approach and thinking strategically is first and foremost the way we start. The innovation pipeline then is next in terms of creating a process by which we find new opportunities where we might bring in innovation. And what we want to do is we want to look at what are the problems that our workforce is having or that our end users are having or the people that our stakeholders are having and how might we create a solution that would make it easier, better, faster, less expensive or less painful for them. And so the innovation pipeline is a five-step process to really understand from the end users what their problems are. We prioritize those problems. We really look in depth at those problems by talking to customers and understanding what their pain points are and how we might be able to deliver a solution that would help solve those pain points. And then we transition the solution to an actual operating capability. So it's a process that we use that really is focused on building opportunities. We also want to look widely across an organization and figure out what are all the assets that we have available to us and how do we bring those to bear to benefit innovation. There are any number of existing organizations within an agency, such as our contracting office, right, which is absolutely central if we want to buy something new. How do we partner effectively with them to ensure that we can do so easily? Or we have legal counsel. These should be our best friends from the very beginning, right? To ensure that we are staying on the right side of the law at all times and they understand and we're working together to achieve innovation. Those types of relationships are absolutely central and being able to use the assets, the existing assets of an agency is critical. 
We also, as I mentioned, want to look at innovation methodologies and tools that we can use, such as Scrum and Waterfall from your experience, Chad. But there are many other existing capabilities that that could be utilized. And we need to think widely about what is the right approach that we'd use right now to use such a tool. We want to think about our stakeholders, our broad range of stakeholders, and really understand who do we need to buy into our process? Who do we need to get excited from a senior level perspective so that we're ensuring that we're as we need to be and we have the relationships that we need? We also need to look out for saboteurs who perhaps might not be as interested in our success as we are. And so we need to figure out what is that person's motivation and how do we win them over to what it is we're trying to achieve so we can work collaboratively. Communicating with our stakeholders is fundamental. And finally, we want to measure our success through understanding metrics. And again, this is not just about technology transition and things such as the one through nine TRL levels that people who are familiar with development of technology are, would know quite well. There are ways to look at all types of innovation we're creating so that we can create a way to measure success effectively. Okay, so, so some things in there to unpack just to make sure I'm tracking with you on this. So you, you talked about six ways for really addressing innovation. And in that, one of them, I believe, was the innovation pipeline, right? Yeah. And the framing, okay. Absolutely. A way to create opportunities. Yes. And in the innovation pipeline, there were five steps. I captured four, so I want to make sure I got this all straight. And everything you've talked about resonates really well with me, both on my experience with the government and also commercial experience. So for listeners that aren't in government, the things that we deal with when it comes to recognizing the problem and then prioritizing what aspects of that problem that we can solve, exploring solutions that are possible, and then transitioning to actually building that one solution. Those were the four steps I got in there. So the problem, prioritization, solution exploring, and actual so What's the fifth one of the pipeline I missed? It's a great question here, Chad. And I would emphasize, well, I've talked about tech government because that is my background. This approach can be utilized for any public sector or private sector sure. organization. So I, yes. Step number one is sourcing a problem and understanding what are the wide range of problems that we have available to work on. And those problems can come to us from senior leaders our colleagues who are working mission-driven aspects of our work, or even the worker bees within an organization that are the ones who are dealing firsthand with what's going on day to day. And they have fantastic awareness of what the challenges that we face are. So one is sourcing the problems in the widest manner possible. Once we've sourced those problems, we want to make sure that we curate and prioritize those problems, right? We're really understanding what those priority, those problems really mean, refining the problems so that we've gotten really to the heart of the map, really understanding the pay points specifically. And then we rank those problems one to N so that we can know if we are working on the most important problems, right? We all know every organization has limited resources. You can only do so much. So let's do that, which is going to have the greatest impact of what we're trying to achieve. Next, we need to discover the problem more in depth and start to explore what solutions might be possible by looking in depth at those pain points and really understanding how we might be able to work with the end user to come up with a potential solution. And once we've thought about that, we can start to incubate that solution, really understand how that solution is going to be effective in meeting the need 
if we need to tweak that solution in some way, if we need to resource it in ways that haven't been yet, and then finally transitioning it into an operational capability. So this is a process that's actually been adopted by a good portion of the U.S. Navy. They have a slightly modified version of this process that has six or seven steps separating out prioritization, which is fundamental. We only have so many resources to spend, so let's do so on the highest Mm -hmm. priority elements. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so what I missed was really kind of that deployment, right? The taking the solution that you built and actually putting it into use in the organization or with the stakeholders that it affects getting the value from this, obviously. Absolutely. And I would also add, again, it's not just about technology. We can be talking about processes or strategies, standards, policies. There are any number of innovation solutions and understanding, is this mature enough to actually put into the wild? Are we ready to go? Okay. And I appreciate the emphasis on prioritizing the problem, really understanding the pain points and ranking with my hat on either helping organizations or doing executive uh, teaching at graduate programs in universities. People always say, we have too many projects, right? For the amount of resources, we have too many projects here. And they're not getting value out of the highest, the most important projects because they have added other projects that aren't all that important that just lengthen out the cycle. That's exactly right. So one organization I w- was dealing with, they had on average 120 so projects going at one time. And the average completion time of any project was two years. And you can imagine a little project that could t- get done in a month if it was properly resourced, or a really big, important revenue-generating project to the organization that could get done in six months if it was properly resourced. They all kind of got put in the same pile of, yeah, on average, it takes us two years to get anything done. That's right. And that's a prioritization problem. We're not prioritizing what is most important to the organization. That's right. And so understanding what is needed from a strategic perspective in innovation is fundamental. That's why that is the first step of this process. In understanding what is it we're trying to achieve in this organization? What are our highest priorities at the moment? And how can we use innovation to achieve that? I will say from my time at CISA, it was a surprising twist of events in that I had created a panoply of efforts that we would go about bringing to bear to help really drive CISA's mission, ability to communicate about cyber threats effectively. And however, one of the main challenges that we had at CISA was, as I mentioned, we had a very, relatively very small number of people to achieve that mission, 2,200 people, which in comparison to most other U.S. government organizations is quite small. The challenge with not only that small number of people, we had a hard time bringing people into the organization quickly because of what was called suitability issues and a process that was used Mm. to determine whether or not someone was suitable for a job on top of the existing clearance process, which of course is necessitated by any job that holds a demand is demanding to have a clearance. So we knew that this was a primary issue. I talked to our head of security, I talked to our head of HR and lo and behold, the head of security came to me six months later and said, Hey, I want to let you know, I've updated the policy that determines the length of time that it's going to take to bring in someone for the suitability process. And we were able to reduce the amount of time from about eight plus months to bring someone into the organization to about two months, which made a tremendous impact on our ability to do our jobs more effectively. 
And it was having number one, communicating what your goals are to your stakeholders, the people who must be bought into your processes, having them understand what your priorities are and understanding their priorities so that you can reach common goals and then communicating effectively with them so that you're able to reach those goals together. So I will say it was a it was a great a great win for innovation at CISA and I salute the mm-hmm. folks who were involved in making that happen. I think part of that is an important mind shift in just how we approach the problem, right? Absolutely. Because you you mentioned earlier that we have resources available that we should engage early in the process to help us out, like legal, right? Government or for-profit, we have a legal resource that is there to help us. And in that example, you just gave the security clearance issue. And we need people, bring on people, but it takes time to get the security clearance. And we can view the kind of pockets of the organization as at times barriers to innovation, Right, that these are the people that exist to say no to what we want to do, and if we you do, know, I think about this differently. This is just why I'm thinking about it. Right, if we shift our our right. mind to think instead, how can these what we might perceive as a barrier instead actually help us? If we understand together what we're each trying to accomplish, what's your objective? We got to keep people safe here. We can only have people that are properly cleared. It takes time to do all that. My objective is we have to get people resourced to get them going on these important projects. How can we do that more quickly and still meet these mutual needs? That's right. And shifting our mind to think about, okay, this looks like a barrier right now. How can I turn this into an advocate? That's right. And I think one of the things that I mentioned really central, understanding the end users and understanding those who are involved in the problems, talking to them, asking them a lot of questions and really understanding the challenges that we have will allow you to develop a solution that answers everyone's needs. So again, another example from CISA was one of our primary challenges was we were not able to purchase things from the outside world quickly enough to benefit CISA's mission. And so our ability to acquire was absolutely fundamental in shifting that process so that we could make it faster by utilizing what's called OTAs, other transactional authorities, alternative authorities that speed the process of acquisition was absolutely important. Once I started talking to a number of folks within contracting, I realized, number one, they quite realistically have a fear of using processes that could put them at risk. Their jobs, they had worked for any number of decades to hone their craft such that they diminished the risk to the government and did not sign contracts or engage in processes that would put the government at risk. So it's very procedural and importantly procedural, but that was a real issue, which is they didn't want to take the risk of trying new ways of doing things. And so I went to the head of general counsel and I talked about, here's what we're trying to do with the innovation hub. He was 100% on board. And in fact, he said, let me give you someone who can be your partner in this process. So someone from the general counsel's team was at all of our meetings with the contracting officers and was able to communicate at each and every meeting, you will not go to jail, which is actually a very real statement that you hear many times from very responsible contracting officers in the government. They don't want to go against federal regulations such as the federal acquisition rules. 
they don't want to do that, nor do they need to. So having a general counsel at our side at every turn really gave a level of assurance to the quote unquote end users who needed to help us in the process. Additionally, because I had also heard from the contracting officers that they had challenges in using new processes that they had not been trained on. So we were able to get someone from the headquarters at DHS who was an expert in you in teaching OTAs. He came to CISA and was able to help us train literally every 120 contracting officers within the organization. And having that step-by-step understanding of what it looked like and how they might go about the process was really just dramatically different in our ability to use OTAs effectively. Those are really good examples of how do we create a more innovative organization, right? It's not just the, what are we producing as the innovation? It's creating the capability in the organization to support innovation and to right. to maybe also speed the delivery of some things that we want to try to get done. And that's important for us to just recognize that the organization is this bigger thing in, in some sense that we have to get everyone on the same page together. Right. And there's some work to be done to align what might initially be barriers, turn them into advocate and get people supporting our innovation efforts. That's right. And a great point there. You said the word advocate, which I think is a really important word for us to use. We can have allies, people who speak kindly on behalf of our efforts, but if they don't take action, that is not as effective as an advocate who is going to actually take action and do something to help support us. Sometimes we have to help our advocates understand how they can support our efforts more effectively. And of course, it's a two-way street. One of the core components to innovators' way of seeing the world is being collaborative. So always trying to create win-win situations and to ask, but certainly to give as well. Absolutely. Very good. So I, I like where our discussion has gone, really pulling together some important aspects for, to help an organization be more innovative, whether it's a government organization or uh, another sort of organization. As listeners know, we also love innovation quotes around here. And I asked you to reflect on one and bring that to us. Yeah. Can you share that? And I'll just share what it means to you too. Absolutely. So the quote I'm going to give you is one that I found shortly after 9-11, which was the devastating event, not only for our entire country and this globe, but was something that was really transformational for me. It was when I decided I wanted to come to national security and be part of helping to move our efforts forward. So I found this quote and it resonated so very much. It, It spoke to me in a way that has sustained me for any number of years since that event. It's by George Bernard Shaw. This is the true joy in life, being used for a purpose, recognized by yourself as a mighty one, being a force of nature instead of a feverish, selfish little clod of ailments and grievances, complaining that the world will not devote itself to making you happy. I am of the opinion that my life belongs to the whole community, and as long as I live, it is my privilege to do for it what I can. I want to be thoroughly used up when I die, for the harder I work, the more I live. It also resonated very much for me when I joined the world of innovation, both within the government and at BM&T, because it emphasizes the importance of hard work and being able to achieve what it is that is really most important. 
Very good. Thank you for sharing that with us. A lot of depth in there, and I will make sure a copy of that is in the show notes as well. And speaking of the show notes, I will put a link in there to at least find your book on Amazon, Creating Innovation Navigators. Tell us how people can, where's the best places to go, though, to find out about the resources that your group provides? Absolutely. BMNT.com is a fantastic resource that tells you what it is that we do and how we do it. You can find a link to our not only the book, Creating Innovation Navigators, but the course, Innovation Navigators as well. And of course, Amazon and other providers such as Ingram uh, have the book available on it at any time. Excellent. Sabra, thank you so much for the information. I'll make sure those links get placed in the show notes as well. Really interesting to think about innovation in the government sector and how the activities there parallel what we do in other areas and that we need to have a pipeline, a process in place to tackle the most important things and take action on those. Thank you, Chad. It's been a pleasure. And listeners, as a reminder, if you want a written copy of everything we talked about, a summary of all the discussion, including a one-page action guide that helps you put into action so the key takeaways that Sabre shared, simply go to productmasterynow.com slash 422. Everyone, keep innovating. Thank you for listening to Product Mastery Now, where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. By listening, you are becoming a product master, creating products customers love. Find additional resources at productmasterynow.com. Keep innovating.